Let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 6. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday mornings in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to finish, Lord willing, uh, what we know as the Lord's Prayer today. We're just going to walk through that, Matthew chapter 6. The prayer begins in verse number 9, and we'll read that so that we take it in context. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, I would like to point your attention to something that's in your your worship guide. It is the skeet shoot, uh, the men's skeet shoot flyer, and that's going to be May 17th, a couple of Saturdays um, from yesterday. And guys, we're going to have fun. You have no idea. And ladies, your husbands will come back change men. Guys, we've had a lot of response already and uh, just wanting to make sure that we do all things in the spirit of excellence for Jesus Christ because he deserves that, which even involves shooting things. Uh, we would ask uh, that you either uh, go on Facebook and click your attending if you're planning on attending. And also, if you could fill out uh, your name and the number of people that you're bringing, just so that we have a good idea on how much food to prepare. Uh, ladies, we've already caught um, some hatred from you. And let me just be very clear. We know that you can shoot, that many of you do. But uh, what we're trying to do, uh, in all seriousness and honesty, this is our first, I guess, official men's event. We're going we're gonna to eat, guys. We're going to eat unhealthy food. Number one, uh, there will, there may be some, I don't even know if we're gonna have lettuce to put on the hamburgers. We will? Okay, alright, so it makes it all good. Anything green, it makes the calories disappear. So we're gonna eat unhealthy food, and then we're gonna shoot things. Some of y'all are like, I wanna say amen for the first time in church, but I'm not sure if it's okay. This is the time, and it's about shooting things. We're gonna shoot stuff, and then we're gonna hear the gospel. We're gonna have the gospel presented at this event so that every man who comes is going to know what the Bible says, that Jesus is the one who can save us and every single man there to be the man that God has created us to be needs to get saved. So guys, here's the thing. And teenage guys as well, I believe we, 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 we uh, I guess, phrase this a little bit confusing. Teenage guys are absolutely welcome. We want you guys to come as well. Biblically, when you're around the age of 12, that was considered uh, manhood. So you didn't have adolescence in college because adolescence in college in American culture means that you get all of the perks of being an adult, but you get none of the responsibilities. Have you noticed that? But we don't want to play that game. So we've got uh, guys who are trained who will be able to make sure this is done in a safe way. Because some of y'all have increased your prayer life. You're like, Lord Jesus, we knew he was crazy, but we're doing a what as a church? We're going to make sure that everything is done right. And those of you guys, you know who you are. We're going to meet in my office right after the service. Quick 10-minute meeting. Make sure we're all on the same page. Make sure it is done right. Also, something to save the day. Because the reason why I would start out a sermon this way, this way, even though we have it in the bulletin, nobody reads the bulletin. Some of y'all are convicted right now. Like we have this happen all the time. We're like, well, such and such. Well, I had no idea. We're like, it was on the website. It was in the newsletter the whole month. It was in the bulletin for like three weeks out. So we know that nobody reads it. So we'll just go ahead and explain it. We're going to have a family picnic on May 18th. We've, we've outgrown a Wade Park first. Amen, church? It was the first one. Right? Wade Park was good, but it got too big. And now we're at the, the, the picnic shelter at Sontag, 619 um, Road there. So May 18th. 
Sunday afternoon, five o'clock, invite people who wouldn't yet be comfortable coming with you to Sunday morning church. Do you know people like that in your life? Your friends with them, you like you, you like them, but if you like you, that's good too. But you like them, they like you, your buddies, your pals, your amigos, but they're not, they're not, they're just like, man, if I come to church, it'd just be weird, I'll be out of place, I'll be dressed wrong and people no bring them to the picnic we're going to have a pickup game of softball afterwards where we're going to be allowed to let the kids play softball and some of the guys that haven't yet gone into their closet and opened up the high school yearbook and looked at their picture and said your career is over nice knowing you goodbye and get too aggressive we'll just let the police officers in our midst arrest them and lead them off the field have you ever played a church game to where you have men playing with kids and the men are actually trying to throw the kids out at first base? Shame on you. All right. Uh, and something too, I, I don't ever m- mention this, but I think it, it is needed. I never want this to be the, the, a distraction, but you all have been so gracious with me these past uh, three years that I've been in, uh, in Liberty's PhD program for apologetics. That's basically ethics, philosophy, theology, trying to find, um, defenses and, and know exactly what the atheists are saying so that we'll be able to prepare people to give a defense from the Bible about what the Bible says. Uh, the way that it works is you do uh, several years of coursework and classes called PhD seminars and you write a lot of papers for those and present in class so people can interrupt you and ask you what is your reason for saying that where is your your footnote so uh, it can be a little bit challenging uh, at times and then it goes into you learn your languages a uh, couple of, of research languages and then you do a comprehensive exam, which is like the bar exam for that program, and then you write your dissertation. Well, as of Friday, and I did miss practice, and Coach Michael and Mark, I'm sorry, I'll run suicides today to make up for it. But on on Friday, I turned in my last paper for my last seminar. And and you all as a church, the, I, I never want the focus to be on Jeff or education or the lack thereof, but you all have been so gracious and uh, and so so kind to me. What I'll do now is learn languages in the summer, and then probably start the dissertation uh, the first of this next year. And all of that will be able to be done in a normal pattern of life. So going to bed at 2 a.m. and having to get up, praise the Lord. Thank you. Um, going to bed late and getting up early, hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to get a little bit more more sleep and uh, be on a normal schedule. But thank you for that. The reason why I'm doing that is not to have a degree attached to my name. Uh, and if the Lord gives graciousness and I ever get that degree, um, we'll put you on church discipline if you call me Dr. Jeff or Dr. Robinson. All right? Hey, man. Hey, listen. Um, in, in, it, it, as, as a faith family, as followers of Jesus, and that's just one thing, like if you're a medical doctor, you know, and that's one thing, but like in, in the, in the church, we are brothers and sisters. Regardless if you have a high school diploma or a college degree or a trade school, what, whatever, there, there, the only, the only titles we have in the church are the titles that Jesus gave us. Deacon, pastor, and all, all of those types of things, elder, it comes down to we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So we never want to glorify education for education's sake because some of us have known people then they have been ruined by education. Or excuse me, let me back up. Not education, indoctrination. Y'all okay? 
There's a difference between educating someone which says, here's what all of the sides say, and coming from a a specific angle and saying, if you don't believe this, then you're stupid and you're a bigot and you're a Christian and so forth. No, no, no. We want to glorify God and the call on a person's life to follow Jesus and to preach the gospel never has to do with a degree, but it has to do with the leading power of God's Holy Spirit. Okay? So I never want to mention those things once again to bring attention to Jeff, but I do want to express my gratitude to you and my sincere thankfulness for allowing me to be gone at certain times, uh, to be in Lynchburg, to get that stuff finished so that I will be able to be the preacher and pastor and Christian that I need to be because we live in a world where there's a lot of people who don't know God's word or a lot of people who do their best to try to say that it's not true. So there needs to be a rebuttal and a counter argument to that. So as God gives us grace, we'll do that together. All right, let's pick our Bibles up, get to work. Matthew chapter six, beginning there in verse number nine, this is Jesus. And he says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's back up to verse 10 once again. If you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, you're a little bit crazy because here's what you just prayed if you meant it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's jump further to where Jesus concludes this. Some versions have, some manuscripts have, and yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Verse 14 picks up, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And here's what we're going to try to to hammer home and establish today. That truly praying for the will of God in our lives may result in a radical change in our lives. To truly pray this, to say, God, your kingdom come, which God's kingdom involves Jesus. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And one thing that doesn't necessarily get a voice in that kingdom is Jesus, I've got an idea on how I want to mitigate and to limit and to edit what you've clearly told me to do. When Jesus' kingdom comes, it means that he is in total control and we are simply servants. Now, by way of review, we broke down what the kingdom of God means in Scripture. Number one, it means the here and now. The kingdom of God is when Christ comes into a person's life and changes them. Where Christ becomes comes into a person's life and he changes the person from being prideful and arrogant to being humble. When Jesus comes into a person's life, he changes them from being always concerned about the bottom line, what the dollar means, and he changes them to having a heart of gratitude and generosity and giving. When Jesus Christ comes into a person's life, he changes them to where they're always hung up on not forgiving people who've done things to them in the past, to being able to, through his power, free them and release them. 
You see, there may be many of you today and you're held back by something that happened years and years and years ago. And Jesus comes and he says, I'll allow you to be free from that. So there is the change that Christ does in our life, but there's also the change that's coming when Jesus comes again. Now, some people say, now, Jeff, it sounds like with the kingdom of God, it's this pie in the sky type of deal to where you just say, well, just just stop what you're doing. Don't live your life, but just sit on top of a house and look at the sky and wait for Jesus to come back. That's not at all what the return of Christ is. Have you seen the different people who have been involved in cults? You ever seen that? And they get all twisted around and turned around in their mind about the return of Jesus Christ. We are to live as if Jesus is coming back. Now that means, number one, I don't know when he's coming back. Whenever somebody says, Jesus is coming back, remember the book, what was it, 1988 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988? Whenever they set dates, you know they're full of it. Absolutely, I mean, it's coming out their ears, they're full of it. That only the Father knows when the Son is coming back. And so we're supposed to live in such a way to where, yes, we save. Yes, we plan. Because there's some Christians be like, well, shoot, if he's coming back today, no more dieting for me. I'll tell you where I'm not going to be at the YMCA. No, sir. I'm going to go find the biggest, baddest buffet and they will lose money. I mean, that's sometimes the way that we think about the return of Christ. But man, we should be, we should be anticipating it. Think about when you were a kid and that, that one time a year when it gets cold, Christmas comes around. Oh my goodness. And you know that it's coming. And all of a sudden you're just a little kid. You can't wait to get that gift that you, that you already knew you were going to get because you got a razor and you cut open the presents and you sealed them back. Some people are going to get Save today because of that, right? Deceiving your parents all those years. I mean, you just, you just couldn't wait. It seemed like the clock slowed down and you were waiting in anticipation or for some of you that may be engaged or, or you want to be engaged and you can't wait till you're married. And then all of our married friends say that's when the real hard work starts. Some of y'all married people. Y'all are lying right now. No, no problems. We're good, right? She's crazy, right? Man, we, we, we look forward to things that we have in our lives. I mean, it could be anything. Think about this. This is when all of the greatest stories come to their head and come to their crescendo. When Jesus comes back and when these prayers collectively will be answered and Jesus comes back and his kingdom will be here. Oh, man. We talked about American the republic type of government and the democracy last week that we that we have here in this country it's a representative a republic not not a pure democracy to its mob rule it's a nation of laws but boy when jesus comes back it's going to be amazing because jesus won't put up with it there's a lot of people man today they can beat the system they can beat you you're like bro you are so slick at being it being a jerk and making other people's lives miserable. Like if you could have that channel towards Jesus and serving people, you can make an amazing difference. But when Jesus comes back, it's going to mean that evil is taken care of. 
And some of us that lay in our beds at night and say, God, how long will you allow this thing to endure? How long will it be until you bring justice? How long will you allow the innocent to suffer? When Jesus comes back, it will be taken care of. You can put it in the bank. But if you don't believe in God here today, here's what you believe. You believe that there is no ultimate justice. You believe, you believe that Adolf Hitler and you believe that every terrorist or every child rapist that takes their life by a simple pull of a trigger, maybe a twinge of pain before they die, that's all the punishment that they get. But the Bible tells us that there is a day that God is coming and he will judge the world in righteousness. Straight up. Straight up. He is coming, and when he comes, mercy will be over. So we must realize, friends and family and Christ, that when we pray for Jesus' kingdom to come, we're saying, drop the hammer. And there is some part of our soul that cries out for righteous judgment. And we say judgment, we're not talking about condemning people. We're not talking about saying that we're better than another person. We're saying that evil must be dealt with. And when Jesus comes back, evil will be dealt with. But here's the other side to that. When judgment comes, there will be no more mercy. The person that is said in church week after week after week, but because of something that they ha- that they heard from a biased college professor in a biology or a religion or a humanities class, it has given them the intellectual excuse to continue to have sex with their girlfriend or their boyfriend to totally, in a life sense, turn their back on Christ. They will come face to face with the one that they deeply knew at the bottom of their heart was real all along. It will be the day to where the atheist will stand before God. And I don't know exactly what God will do, but the Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 2 that he will laugh. It says that he laughs at the nations who put plans together to say, let's dethrone God. God will never be dethroned. God is in control, and if we look, I mean last week, there was so much that we couldn't even cover about China, about how these, these, these philosophers and these experts in religion and humanities said, I don't even know if, if Christianity or even religion can survive in China. Officially an atheistic country, but what we see possibly in the next 20 to 30 years is that China will have more and more and more and more and more people who come to know Jesus Christ. The church is booming in places like that around the world. And guess what happens when you get more and more people in your culture who come to faith in Jesus Christ? Guess what you have less of? You have less alcoholism. You have less wife beating. You have less children who are neglected by their fathers. You have more of an emphasis on this person. Yes, they have issues. Yes, they're, and I love this phrase, they're a piece of work. You ever use that? I mean, there's a lot, that means a lot of different things. We say, man, they are a piece of work, which means, well, they're a piece of work. That's what it means. Yes, but this person, Warts and all, issues and all, the fact that they're a liar, it still means that they are made in the image of God. And you will see more care for the poor throughout those cultures. And the gospel is not something that we, especially if you call yourself a conservative Christian, you're concerned about the direction of our nation, that's a good thing. But listen, we can never 
come to the place to where you get a majority of your party, whatever that is, and they pass a law in the Senate or in the Congress, and therefore we are a quote-unquote Christian nation. The way nations are changed is by men and women on the job who pray for the kingdom of God to come. Who pray, God, let your will be done. I teach a school. I teach children. I drive a truck. I work on machinery. I work in the area of finance. I work, I just build things. Oh God, let your will be done in my life. Through my work, because some of you at work jobs where you don't really have that much interaction with people, if you work on things, you say, God, may it be that my work is of such a high quality that that is a springboard for me to point people to you. Those of you that work with people, you're praying, you're praying, and you're, sometimes we're going to get to this. Y'all, listen, we're going to get to fasting. You talk about the like the top five things that Baptist churches never address, and one of those is fasting. So, Fred, I don't know how many people we're going to have here next week. I actually had a had a nightmare the other week that I was preaching on Sunday morning. There were like eight people here, and I was just trying to preach, and then like four of them just were like and got up and walked out. And then Ben Robertson on the third row. Never seen him do that before, but in my dream. But we're praying, right? I mean, if we have been committed to Christ and we've been changed by Him, that means that it's not just the job. Have we gone crazy with that? It's not just the paycheck. That's not the end. The point for us as followers of Christ is to say, how can I use this job, these relationships, and these connections, and this money to bring in the kingdom of God in the sphere of my life? To make this world that Jesus has given me to influence more like heaven and less like hell. May we repent and wait, may we be, may we be annihilated in our pride to think that a job is just a job. And if you're trying, if you're working that job right now that you never, you're like, Lord, in your kingdom, I definitely don't want to be doing what I'm doing right now. I'm on the, Lord, Lord, it's like I've had to take the bottom rung. I've tried to do these things that I never thought I'd be able to do to make ends meet. Listen, what a powerful example it is, listen, to take a step down, to lose a job, to take a job paying less, and for people to see you handling that in a Christ-honoring, Christ-glorifying way. They don't like that stinking job either. They say, I should, I, I should make more than this. I should be in this job. But they see you working those same hours and those same shifts, but yet you're not bitter at the world and you say something to the effect of without being preachy. Man, God is in control. God will take care of me. The Bible tells me he will take care of me. We're going to cover that here in a few weeks. He says, don't worry. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. He says, he says don't, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. What a day may bring forth. I mean, God takes care of the birds and the flowers. He'll take care of you and say, my faith is in God. And he will give me what I, watch out, what I need. Go with me very quickly to verse number 11. Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Before we jump into Jesus' blessing diet here. There are some of you that have talked to people and they say something to the effect of, 
all that the kingdom of God is and all that faith in Jesus Christ is about is about this pie in the sky thing. It has nothing to do with the real world. Listen, the social, the economic impact of the gospel. Let me give you one small illustration. This is in the great state of Minnesota, a prison fellowship program there reduced recidivism rates. I mean, the people that just continually, they only get out of jail to go back to jail and or prison. They reduced the recidivism rates and saved prisons more than $3 million, says a recent study from Baylor University. Cited in Christianity today. Listen, when you begin to really think about the implications of Jesus Christ, it will change culture. And something for us in the United States, when a man gets saved, even if he's out of a job, he will use his time to benefit those he's with. This is just a note. But I know this is a tough time in the economy. Have any of y'all noticed that? I don't know. There have been a couple things about it in the news. But if you're in between jobs or if you're working part-time when you want to be working full-time and you're doing all that you can do to try to fill that extra time with more work, but it's just not been provided yet, why don't you, especially you guys, why don't you think about a way that you can use that extra time for ministry? Or connect with something like the Boys and Girls Club invest in young men, do speak the gospel into their lives because it's very possible that in our busy American lives, the reason why some of us, God chooses us. Yes, God is sovereign. God selects us to say, I'm going to put them through the crucible so that they will become more like me. And through that extra time, you may have things that you can do ministry-wise that you wouldn't be able to do if you were fully employed. So here's the question. We talk about praying for the kingdom of God. What ushers it in? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now for our logical thinkers, go with me on this. If preaching the gospel, and by the gospel we mean that every single one of us are on our way to hell without Christ. Every single one of us, if left to ourselves, we are liars. We have the tendency to steal. We have the tendency to be lustful. We have the tendency to be hateful. We have the tendency to be selfish. And let's just take it a step further. We are those things, not just that we have the tendency. That's what we are. Aren't you glad you came to church today? The gospel is that we are that, but that Christ came and was everything that we are not. Christ came to be perfect, not so that we could simply be baptized or christened, but so that we would have a changed heart. If all that Christ has changed in your life is the fact that you now come here from 11 to 12 whenever, instead of somewhere else, then Jesus is incredibly and pathetically lame. For the only thing to change is for us to attend a worship service, man. Isn't Jesus more powerful than that? No, no. When the gospel comes in, everything changes. Yes, church attendance and involvement is a part of that. But he changes us so that we want to serve him. It's not the guilt trip. Some of you may have come out of legalistic churches to where you have somebody hold the Bible up but then say things that the Bible never says. 
Listen, if we're going to talk about dress, if we want to be really biblical, let's all grow a beard like Jesus and wear man skirt. Y'all okay? You can get real biblical about it. I don't know how this would work at a Baptist church, but they use dance as a part of their expressive worship in the Old Testament. It's not booty dancing or dropping it like it's hot. It's something that's done. Y'all were thinking it. But it was something done out of a, out of a, a, an expression of the heart to express how thankful they were to be God's children. Some of you have come from those legalistic traditions. Listen, we're not preaching legalism when we say that when Jesus changes our heart, it's no longer I have to go to church, it's I get to. It's no longer I have to read God's word because if I don't, I'll feel guilty. But it's that I have God's word. I have it. If we did a little bit of reading and research, we would know that there are numerous people who died. So that the Bible could be translated so that we could have it, especially in the English-speaking world. So if the gospel is that powerful and it comes by preaching, go, go with me on this, thinkers. What must happen for a person to be changed? What must happen is that another person must be honest and in some way share the gospel with them. And that gospel presentation, whether it is through a conversation over lunch at McDonald's or whether it is over coffee at your home or whether it is through you giving and praying and helping for a translation of the Bible to go to another country or anything. It has to be saturated in prayer. Let me give you a text for this. One of the most amazing texts about bringing God's word to people who need it. Romans chapter 10 in verses 13 through 15. The Bible says, this is a question. Go with me on this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Right? If you don't know who Jesus is, how can you believe on him? And then the scripture says, and how are they to believe in him of who, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to teach unless they are sent as it is written? This is so cool. All the Bible's cool, but this especially. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Some of us, when our sports teams come on and it is that game, save the date. Save the date. Watch out. Remove all distractions from being in front of the television. I will watch that game. And I will cheer. It's a big deal. The Bible says necessity is laid upon me. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So the question for us as Christians is where is the unconquered territory? We had a huge group come last week to our first meeting to go to India. Some of y'all are like, man, India, in my mind, is a million miles away. Jesus told us to go to all the world. India is part of it. We may not connect there long term, but we're going to go on a vision trip. One of the ways that you can pray this in reference to verse number 11, give us this day our daily bread, 
is to pray. If you're really believing that God is leading you to go on that trip, pray that God would provide what is needed. And for the rest of us, the giving starts now. You can designate that. We're, Lord willing, going to have a fairly large group from Rocky Mount Baptist Church go, and we're going to try to connect with an unreached people group. Here's what that means. It means a people group. This particular one has less than 0.4% Christians. There are sections within that that masses of people who have no access to the gospel. You're like, well, we're just from, we're just from Southwest Virginia. We're just from Rocky Mount. I mean, can we, can we do that? Like, is that okay? Well, Jesus had a group made up of political extremists, tax cheats, and a bunch of hick fishermen. And yet those were the ones that Jesus said, all power on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. And just a quick heart check. If that, if you have issues with that, if you have issues with missions, you have issues with Jesus. Now, I know compared to some, I may be fairly young. To some, I may be old. But in doing these mission, this mission work, whether it's at the jail, whether it's bringing guys from Franklin County to shoot things in a cow field, hear about Jesus, or whether it's going to an unreached people group, listen, all of that, listen, is extremely old school. Y'all didn't catch it. By doing these things, by being missional in our church life, we are not doing something new and flashy because the younger generations like, they, they like to do things instead of just hear things. This is so old school that it would make any of you here today who would say, I am old school, you would seem very new school. Isn't it good sometimes for those of us that has a little bit of a, have a little bit of age to be made young by comparison? This goes back to the foundation of the Bible to where God sent His Son. He sent promises of His Son until He came. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is concerned about our daily needs. Some of you need to realize that. I think there may be some of us and we say, Jeff, God is, God is concerned about India and these unreached people groups and all of these big things. But sometimes it seems so small for me to pray about what I need and what my kids need and what my family needs. Listen, Jesus gives us a great diet. He says, pray for our daily bread. Pray for it. Now for some of us, we want to pray, God, give me this year my monthly salary plus benefits and plus this and that listen god will give you everything that you need because he provides for his own and if you're not if you've never been saved what you have waiting for you is judgment i don't know why we always in this way i just feel led to we have, I mean, so many of you have done such a great job bringing your friends, but you have to understand if you're trusting in your own goodness, if you're praying for these things in the context of I can do better, you don't know Christ and you need him to change your life today. To pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. When we become to the, when we come to the place of salvation, Jesus enables us to forgive people. He 
provides for our physical needs. He delivers us, go to verse number 13, out of temptation. Why would Jesus do any of these things? Because he wants us to be in the center of his will, which is bringing the gospel to people who need it. Being Jesus's, as we say this in church all the time, being his hands and his feet. Some of you, I really believe, you just see this across the church world. We so easily say, I could never do that. And the reason why we think that is because we look back at what we were before Christ saved us. And Jesus is saying, pray for God's kingdom to come, for his will be done. He's saying that you get to be a recipient. You get to be a trainee of the greatest trainer. Listen, what an amazing thing you could do. And your jobs and your relationships is people who may even seem that they have everything together. If you speak the gospel into their life, you can literally give some children a father. Their father may be there providing for physical things. You say, now Jeff, I, I, I do pray, I do pray this because I want to provide for my children, you see. I, I do pray, God, help us pay our bills. But listen, the pagan world is all about the bottom line. And if all we're concerned about is that our children have food and clothes and a place to live, that's simply paganism. Paganism is life without God. It's kind of like a dog, right? The child eats. What's the dog need? Food. Dog needs a place to stay. Child, in some sense. Through all of that, if we don't take it a step further and see what Jesus is getting at, that it is the knowledge of God and the gospel, we're treating children just like animals. Is that too radical to say that? If there is no Jesus being spoken into their life, we're simply saying if you have stuff, then it's okay. No, to truly provide for them, to pray, give us what we need. It means for you fathers to be involved and pray for your children, to love them, and to speak verbally about Jesus. Thanks, Mike. You talk, you talk to people involved in corrections, and most of the time, the, the people who you're involved in that. There's a lack of dad. And I'm not talking about dad just not being at home. I'm talking about dad bringing them to church, but never Jesus being brought up. Guys, let God change your hearts. And those of us who don't have families yet, prepare for that mentally and spiritually to re-speak Jesus into our children. It's so awesome to see Isabella and, and Henry being dedicated today. That is not a formality. They're two precious little lives here. So we need to do everything we can to help these parents lead them to follow Jesus with everything that they are. When I was a kid, I, uh, I really enjoyed Legos. Any Lego fans here? Okay. Come on now. Once you're a Lego fan, you're always a Lego fan. You just won't do it when other adults are around. You go in there and play with the kids. And I had this thing, and it was called the King's Castle. The King's Castle. This is back in the early mid-80s. I know I'm dating myself here. And uh, the King's Castle was like this huge King's Castle. And I had it built on a little slide. It had kind of a seating area there in my room. It was a small little kid slide. And it was perfect if nobody touched it. But then one day I had a birthday party. And if you're a child, you know that birthday parties can be fun, but they can also be very stressful. Because other kids are playing with your toys. And this kid came into the room and he was, you know, just being a kid. And then he bumped the king's castle. And guess where the king's castle went? Down the slide. And what happened to the king's castle when it hit the bottom? 
just like most good ideas in any type of government body, right? It just went kaboom, all right? And, and it just, I mean, it went into a million pieces and I was just, I, I was just, I mean, jaw on the ground. I remember my mom coming, she saw, she said, Jeffrey, it's okay, it's okay, it's all right, honey, we'll rebuild it. Cause she's like, my eldest son is gonna do a beat down of this other child at his own birthday party. And I thought about that. I never rebuilt the king's castle, but sometimes when we pray about the will of God being done, he's the one who needs to come in and destroy the king's castle that we've already built. Because who's on the throne of that? It's me and it's you. And those things never end well. Even if you do well in this life, even if you pay your bills, you've got connections, you've got friends, got jobs, one day you will come in face to face with Jesus Christ and all of that will not mean a hill of beans. The only thing that will matter is if you've been saved by his grace, come to that place where you've given control of your life to him. And so the question is, is the king's castle of self still in operation in your life or has Jesus brought you to the place where he destroys that and builds something greater?